Hooray! <laughs> Welcome to this nighttime special edition of Unfortunately Required Reading. Yeah, um, we were supposed to record uh, Saturday, which is Tori's birthday. Yay! And Krampus night. <laughs> but uh, apparently Tori now has plans, question mark? So... <laughs> I, I have no idea. My husband's like, wait, why are you recording on Saturday? I'm like, because we record like every other Saturday. And he's like, but it's your birthday. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What are we yeah. doing? He's like, nothing. Liar. What did you plan? Nothing. I'm like, can it be close to home and we wear masks? And I get a frantic message like, can we please record on Friday? It's like, yes. Please, oh, please, oh, please. I'm sorry. Uh -oh. I will apologize in advance that I sound like hot trash. Um, Texas doesn't know what to do with its weather. Not so, at all. Uh, so my body has decided to rebel. Yeah, we have regular allergens. And then on yes. top of that, we have cedar allergens. And on yes. top of that, we have COVID-19 all over the city. So we do. Luckily, I'm pretty sure I don't have that. I can still taste and smell. And I do not have it's gonna go from 50 to 37 tonight so just, if like uh, we actually got snow and stuff other than like that weird sprinkling two years ago it wouldn't be so weird but it's mm -hmm. like this isn't southern colorado where it's negative 19 degrees for fun like there was one morning here that it was actually colder in texas than it was in england and it was just like, I don't understand what weather is anymore. So, do we get to talk about what we're reading? Yeah. This week we did Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. Yes. And I'm currently drinking a white Russian. Which that has nothing to do with the book. Nothing to do with the book. It's just mostly Kahlua. That's fine. I have a Sprite on the side just because... I know if I have anything with caffeine, I will not sleep tonight, and my entire goal is to crash like a glorious phoenix after this. And then rise tomorrow from the ashes. Uh, sometime tomorrow. Sometime tomorrow, hopefully before noon, rise from the ashes. Is this all tying into your hot trash discussion? Yeah. Yeah. Just... Uh... I really hate not sounding good. I will take any other symptom, but like the raspy, sad voice. Um, now I feel yeah. like you need to make a shirt or a sticker that says hot trash Phoenix rising from the ashes. I mean, I can do that. Um, I can make that happen for you. By the way, thank you to the people who are buying the uh, white tear stickers from the Red Bubble shop. Really? We sold yep. more? We've sold a couple of them and I'm like, oh, thank yes. you guys. Thank you guys for, if you guys bought that sticker, I want to see where you put it. I'm not here to judge. I just want to know where it's going. You want to see where its delightful home is. Right. Um, so we're covering Phantom of the Opera entirely to make Tori happy. And I'm pretty sure I lost my voice only for the fact that I cannot sing now. Question. Were yes. you just like singing Phantom of the Opera in your house? Uh, unfortunately, yes. I was cleaning last weekend, listening to the entire Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Mm -hmm. My husband's like, what are you doing? And I'm like singing under my breath, Prima Donna. And, um, yes. <sighs> that one's been stuck in my head for a month now. It's great. See, I think you can tell a lot about a person, uh, depending on who their favorite phantom is. And, and it, it's always like a... You ever want to piss off a bunch of theater nerds? One, bring up that Phantom won the Tony over into the woods. Oh. You. You don't it, fuck with Sondheim, okay? Okay, but like. But Sondheim will then make a musical about either killing presidents or uh, carving people up into pies, so. Accurate. Or ask them who their Phantom is, because. One, I think you can tell a lot about the age of a person, and then two, their taste level. Because we can all agree, if you say Michael Crawford, you're like, odd tier. I was going to say Michael Crawford's the only one I know. 
that's fine. I mean, for me, it's a tie between Ramin Karimlu and Michael Crawford. And then we just ignore Christine because you can swap her out with a broom. Okay, this musical was written for my wife who could sing really, really high. And now when people sing it, everybody's surprised. It's the most basic bitch song that every girl in theater tries to audition to, and it makes me nauseous. Oh, I always heard songs from Rent. Okay, yeah, it's, 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 Rent. it's Rent or it's Phantom. Those are the most, like, basic bitch. I'm going to audition to be ingenue. It's like, not everyone can be ingenue. I would Some love of us to miss Carlotta, dude. And we have, we have reasons for this later, but... We do. I love that everyone thinks that they can be, like, the Christine. It's like, no, some of you are minty background extras. I'm sorry. And do me a favor, read the book first, because you don't really want to be Christine. Uh, You can look at the book with a certain amount of reference. (laughs) All right. I disagree on this. So this book is weird because... Uh, I guess we'll go into Gaston Leroux's background, but yes. he was more, I mean, he did every genre. It was just like, he just mm-hmm. wrote to make money is is basically what it was. Yeah. But he tended to do better in a style where he was like an investigative journalist. Mm-hmm. And so that's why this book, if you're reading it, feels like you're reading a bunch of newspaper articles that have kind of been put together. Mm-hmm. But going to go over a short story long now, I will say I'm disappointed that you added more words because for the longest time the short story long was just the opera ghost really existed the first line in the book <laughs> and I was like we're done like that's it we don't need to explain anything else everyone has seen the fucking musical we don't need to explain anything else and then Tori kept adding words it's like ah fuck because neither the musical nor any adaptation so far has actually followed the book. Because the book is trash. <laughs> Not trash. I've read it like 10 times. I love it. Print trash. <laughs> All right. So you may think you know the story if you've seen the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, but this is wrong. They took a Please do not take. No. If you're doing like AP lit or something like that, do not think that the musical means you know the story. Oh, and any movie adaptation, like if you're watching the adaptation for Wuthering Heights with like Laurence Olivier, no, do not write your report based on movies from like the 20s and 30s and 40s because they cut it down. Right, and like not in a way that's good or helpful. So there are actually some positive characteristics of the Phantom, but most of them are shit. Not a real So it's Paris in the 1800s and the Palace Garnier Opera House Theater. I know I butchered how you say that. It's haunted by the Phantom of the Opera, or OG, Opera Ghost. I want to put a joke in here, but I don't want to get hit. Anyway, the previous managers are like, we're going to turn the business over to two new dudes. And everybody's like, but why? So it's time for a gala performance. The new guys are Armand Moncharmin and Furman Richard. They're not only dumb, they also don't believe in ghosts. During the performance, a stagehand named Joseph Bouquet is found hanged, but there's no use. Dun, dun, dun. A Swedish soprano no one actually knows anything about who's been kind of hanging out in the chorus named Christine Daae has stepped in for the lead soprano Carlotta, who has conveniently gotten sick that day. Mm-hmm. The Vicomte Raoul de Chenier recognizes Christine as the kid he used to play with when he was a kid. He's like, oh yeah, I was totally in love with that girl. So he tries to go find her backstage after the performance, but she's talking to some man in her dressing room. He opens the door, but the room is empty. She ends up meeting up with Raul, who goes, who is the dude in your room? And she all innocently goes, oh, I've been getting singing lessons from the angel of music. So everyone obviously thinks she's nuts. This Mm -hmm. angel was evidently a story her dad used to tell her all the time and say that after he passed away, he'd send Christine, the angel of music, to help her. Her dad was a very famous violinist. Raoul tries to tell her it's probably someone just messing with her, and she storms off. Raoul is fascinated with this whole angel crap and ends up following her to her yearly visit to her father's grave. She leaves the inn in the middle of the night, 
and Raoul follows behind her. While she is at her father's grave, a mysterious figure appears playing a violin that looks just like his. While Raoul attempts to confront the figure, he is attacked and knocked the fuck out. Back at the opera, the new managers get a letter from the OG saying that Christine is going to sing the lead of Marguerite in Faust, and his box, box number five, is not to be sold for that night. The letter says if they don't listen, the house will be cursed. The managers ignore him, of course, and there is a disaster. Carlotta, their, like, main soprano, ends up croaking like a toad, and following that, the entire massive chandelier on the ceiling falls and kills a spectator really bad way to start your career in theater. Uh The phantom abducts Christine from her dressing room. He is a deformed man named Eric, hidden behind a mask. He plans to keep her prisoner for a few days, but she unmasks him, then it screws up his plans. He has no nose or lips, and his eyes are sunken into his face. He's described like a dried-up skeleton with yellow skin. Uh He tells Christine she can now never leave, but he agrees to release her if she wears a gold ring and stays faithful to him. Raoul starts coming to the opera house. He's flirting with her hardcore. Christine won't go anywhere with him, but says they can hang out at the opera house. They get quietly engaged with the understanding that Raoul is about to go off to the Arctic for an adventure he's already prepared for and probably won't be coming back to her. Raoul throws all of this up, off, saying that he's going to cancel the trip and that they should go get married. Christine is not really excited about that, which is, seems a little weird. So she makes him meet her privately during a costume party. And at this costume party, this red death figure shows up. So it's basically kind of like the Edgar Allan Poe story. Uh, The figure is walking around and Christine takes Raoul up to the roof where there's this giant statue of Apollo, which is real. It's actually a lightning rod. Mm -hmm. Um, Where she thinks the ghost won't hear them, Christine reveals to her secret boyfriend that the Phantom kidnapped her for two weeks and she has to wear his ring to avoid suspicion, Raoul says he'll take her away and that they should leave right now, which is a right. really good idea. Mm-hmm. However, she says she can't and that she has to sing for him one more time to say goodbye. Raoul's like, this is really fucking stupid. But he says, okay, well, we'll get everything ready and then we can run away after your performance tomorrow. But the Phantom <laughs> has heard the entire conversation because he's sitting in the shadows. Yes. Eric, the Phantom, is of course extremely pissed off and jealous. He kidnaps Christine during Faust, the mysterious man uh, known and through the book just as the Persian, who is evidently a patron of the arts, guides Raoul through a secret lair known only to the Phantom. They crawl through a tunnel and end up in a mirrored room that the Persian advises is based off an insane plan that Eric made when he worked for a sultana and tortured her enemies. The mirrored room gets horrifically caught, they almost die, and then they hear Christine in the opposite side of the wall. They realize they are surrounded once they escape by in a room full of barrels of gunpowder. And they're like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen, right? Then they hear the Phantom basically tell her she has to choose between a scorpion, which says that she will stay with him, and a grasshopper. And these are like knobs. And if she chooses the grasshopper, the building will hop high, which basically means he's going to light those barrels on fire and everyone's going to fucking die. Mm-hmm. Scorpion, obviously, is what she chooses, and she begs that Raoul and the Persian aren't drowned by the water there, and she promises not to kill herself after marrying him, because evidently he was aware that her plan was to marry this guy, or marry Eric and then kill herself. Right. So she agrees to be his quote-unquote living wife. Eric releases Raoul and the Persian from the torture chambers, Christine kisses Eric on his forehead. His mom wouldn't even do that, so he is overcome with emotion. Evidently, during this scene, their tears combine. He releases her and says he knows that he will die. He tells her to leave and marry Raoul, but when he dies, she should return to him and bury his body. That's going to be done through a newspaper article that just basically has a sentence that says, like, Eric is dead. An obituary. Yeah, but it's, it's like written as an ad. Sure. Um, we find out Raul's brother tried or died trying to find Raul in the caves, which sucks. Um, but now that kind of means that Raul is the Vicomte and he has all the money. Okay. Um, we get to the epilogue, which is basically just a bunch of pages of describing why Eric is as fucked up as he is. He was evidently the son of a construction business owner and a woman, but he was born deformed. And so no one in his family would really do anything for him. 
So he ended up growing up working in fairs and carnivals. And then he was, <clears throat> while he was doing that, he taught himself the arts in different languages and how to build shit. And he went across Europe and Asia building trick palaces, much like the weird mirrored room, which could be mm -hmm. used either for entertainment or to kill people, mm -hmm. which he did in Persia and Turkey pretty mm -hmm. successfully. But then he came back to France and he was subcontracted to build the foundations of the opera house to which he built himself a secret lair and secret passages. Sure, as you do. Which you're kind of like, but why is this at the end? <laughs> it feels like it's tacked on. And there's, there's kind of a good reason for that. It's because this was initially published in segments kind of like Charles Dickens stories and stuff like that, because that's how you made more money. You published it in a magazine, and then you published it in a volume. But it didn't sell. Yeah, I was about to say, or Gaston LaRue's a shit writer. Like, I know that you really like the novel, but I think it does a terrible job of telling what is a pretty basic archetypal story. Because it, so, Lindsay Ellis says that this novel is pulpy like in like the pulp fiction oh kind absolutely of that's his entire style yeah and i i agree with that because it feels like it's taking this super archetypal story and then making it like young and the restless like how do we just add shit <laughs> he has his his style was very much copying other forms and then mm -hmm. making his own his big thing was he wanted to compete with poe and i want to want to say the other one was victor hugo so yeah. like he didn't feel like Poe's story, um, Merge in the Room Org, was good enough. So he wrote his own locked door story. And that's like his other famous one, like the Yellow Room or something. He's like, eh, fuck this, I can do a better job. I would love to be a contemporary of Victor Hugo and Edgar Allan Poe and think that my dick is bigger than theirs. Like, I would just, I would love to feel that about myself. Well, based on his life, and I know that we are, we're very big or talk about the death of the author, but Gustavo wasn't really the nicest guy or the most put together. Um, that, that's what makes it so great, is that, like, because, like, Les Mis came out around the same time. Like, that Les was Mis, a contemporary. massive. Yeah. Well, well, yes. This book, which is a few hundred pages, and you read it really fast. Right. But, like, he saw Les Mis and was like, I can do this. <laughs> and we got Phantom. Which one's the more popular musical? <laughs> oh, um, I think Les Mis is honestly the better musical. I didn't say better. I said most popular. Oh, Phantom's the most popular, but I think Les Mis is like, story-wise, the better musical. I was going to say, how long has Phantom, well, I haven't been to Vegas in years, but... Phantom has been basically running in Vegas. It's ru it run continuously in New York. I think yeah. Cats is like the only one that ran longer, but. And and Cats like, is another play for sexual deviance. Oh, by the same guy. Um, mm -hmm. So this book is an epistolary novel because this time period loved that shit. They live love, for you letters. You fucking get off on an epistolary novel. I feel like you do it just to spite me. Part of it, yeah. I mean, Dracula. You know I find them boring as fuck for the most part. So what drives me crazy, which is funny because epistolary novels, I'm like, okay, I get it. You're writing in different letters. I cannot <laughs> stand it when modern writers have a third person omniscient and they switch between characters. I'm like, nobody effing cares about this one character that you're trying to fill things with, okay? We get that you couldn't figure out how to get out of the situation, so you created another character to get them out. Okay. We know. I will, I will not have someone who jerks off the epistolary novel the way you do say anything about third person omniscient. I will not accept it. I will not accept this slander. And you're going to continue to shove epistolary novels down my throat. I'm going to continue to wave the flag for third-person omniscience. Just makes me laugh because all I can think of is is freaking Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development being like, if that is a thinly veiled criticism, I will not listen to it and I will not respond. Like, okay, so I'm going to throw this out here before we get into themes. Okay. Carlotta is not a bad person. She's not a bad person. In every single freaking adaptation, she is a prima donna diva asshole. 
every single one. The Mini Driver one is probably like the most over. I was about the top. to say Mini Driver is great. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, she was great. She was wonderful. She perfectly captured Andrew Lloyd Webber's version. Um, even in the Charles Dance one, she's a complete asshole, and she's just like, "No, I'm going to give you this, and your vocal cords won't work." Like stupid shit that you're like, um, "No." For this time period, and Carlotta really isn't described as that big of an asshole in the book. She basically does what her directors tell her to do, shows up for a performance as a major diva in France, like in a good way, the singing diva, not just a, oh. Um, mm -hmm. She's put in the time, she's put in the training, she's put in the work. She has every right to sing that role. The only reason that the Phantom goes after her is because he doesn't want to fuck her. He wants Christine. And the easiest way for him to get Christine is to make Christine look really good with these singing lessons. Then he can kidnap her and make it a little easier on himself. Mm -hmm. Because maybe she'll feel like this guy did something for me. The Phantom is the ultimate incel. I won't know about ultimate, but he's up there. He's, as our, our friend on the other podcast says, he's a fuckboy of literature. Uh... An attempted fuckboy of literature. Yeah, you know, to Try. say, like, I, I think you're giving Eric a little bit too much credit here. Um, <clears throat> so one of the big themes actually is um, Orientalism, which to say for the second out of what will be many times in this uh, episode, Lindsay Ellis does a great video on this, talking about uh, Daroga and the Persian as a character study. So Orientalism was really, really big during this time because basically you could travel around the world and you could see the Orient. Now, what we think of Orient and what they during this time thought as Orient were different mm -hmm. because their Orient included like the Middle East and stuff like that, mostly because of racism, we're just going to be honest. Yeah. Like, we're just going to be honest. Like, a lot of their Orientalism is more like Egypt and Turkey and India and less like China and Japan. Well, yeah, this entire period, you know, in London specifically, but also throughout France, they had a huge boner for Egypt. They had a huge yes. boner for Turkey and parts yes. of the Ottoman Empire. Um, Absolutely. Well, it wouldn't be Ottoman anymore, but it's, yeah, kind of until it's World War One. Okay, it never mind. Ottoman still. Yeah, it would still be Ottoman. Yes. I was sitting there, I'm like, wait a minute. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> um, it's also important to note that a lot of the, that it's interesting that Eric learns to kill thanks to his time in the Orient. So uh, read into the level of racism there that you would like. Um. And his whole thing is, it's like, where does he learn languages? He learns them in Russia. He learns them in, you know, Western Europe. Mm -hmm. He learns the arts and culture in Western Europe. And then you go into Persia and Turkey and he learns how to torture and kill. Right. Which so is, again, again. Get into that what you wish. Um, it's like, the, the killing tool, or one of the killing tools that he uses is called the Punjab lasso. Yes. Um, and then obviously the character of the Persian. The Persian is described as pretty, like you, you put in your notes, pretty sketchy. He's um, a sketchy magic Persian. Like where, what is he doing? Why is he here? What is the purpose? And it's like, he's just hanging out in France. He goes to the opera all the time. And it's like, you go to the opera because you know Eric's there. Or are you a like, patron of the arts? Like, you could have made this character anything, but you made him Persian. What, fucking why? But, uh, screams into bag. Um, well, I think it's funny because even <clears throat> at this point in time, the French still hated the English. Like, you could have made that guy English. You could have made him, please don't make him Scottish. Um, you could make him anybody from Western Europe. He could have been German, like German engineering. Come on, guys. Um, I mean, realistically, it's 1880 and in France, he could have been anyone. Yeah. Like the French to this day don't like everyone. Uh, What's well, interesting, too, because, I mean, this was a time period where you had, you know, people for the first time seeing someone from India because, you know, Britain was taking things over. Um, not a supporter. Um, you had things like the Boxer Rebellion coming up. Um, mm -hmm. you had later on. Um, you had all sorts of interactions where you had white colonials going over and saying, "This is mine." Mm -hmm. You 
as Eddie Izzard says, no flag, no country. Um, just kind of like walking in and going, hi, I know. It's like, well, no, you can't, you can't just put up a flag. There's like 800 million of us, but. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and say this. There are too many videos on the internet of children trying to make Punjab lassos. Really? Stop trying to make nooses, children. Don't, don't make, don't make nooses. Children, stop making nooses on the internet, please. Like, if you're going to make a lasso, let's go with Wonder Woman's. Yeah, or just, you know, let's not do rope stuff unless it's like BDSM and everyone's consenting. <clears throat> so we need to talk about monsterhood. Who is the monster and who is the man? This is a direct quote from Hunchback, isn't it? It is. Aha! It's from uh, the opening song uh, in the Bells of Notre Dame. Clopin sings it. Clopin will tell you. Anyway. Because if you didn't know, Amanda was a nerd. So that's the point of internal versus external being a monster. Yes. Um, where Eric is concerned, he is both. Yes. Um, I mean, even when you get into the musical adaptations and stuff, they hammer that hard home. Um, it's very much, it's not that he has this horrifying face or looks like a skeleton. I mean, mm. I know girls who date that shit all the time. Um, yeah, I went out of my way to date guys who think their face like that. Like, what are you talking about? Well, there's that one guy who actually made himself look like Red Skull, like had his nose surgically removed and his skin is tattooed red. Cool. Um, like, these people have girlfriends. These people have wives and boyfriends mm -hmm. and stuff like that. This is body modification oh. is nothing special. Um, I had to reveal one of my gross high school crushes. Uh oh. I had I was obsessed with Bam Margera back in the day. I cannot picture you being obsessed with Bam Margera. I would do any. Oh my God, sixteen-year-old Amanda would have done anything Bam Margera says. I never said I had good taste when I was younger. I have a, a few concerns. Same, in hindsight. <laughs> in hindsight, hashtag same. Um, but we also have to ask the question with Eric especially, is would he be trash if he wasn't deformed? Because the Italian version does that question. Or like, he wasn't deformed, he was still a garbage human being. Mostly because he was raised by rats and the way that the penguin was raised by sewer penguins. In that Batman movie that no one likes talking about? I'm not making any of this up. I know you're not. That's why it's so scary. He was raised by rats. I, I, I don't like narratives like that. Because, like, that person always is a little bit off. But they still somehow manage to meld into society. You would get none of the socialization you need being raised by sewer penguins you wouldn't just be like slightly off you would be an abomination unto the lord is this like nell yes. come up with your own language to communicate with the animals around you right like you would just also why are there sewer penguins living under gotham we don't have time to answer that question oh which is our whole point on nature versus nurture yeah um, so we tend to think that because Eric wasn't loved as a child, that now he's an entitled incel man-child. Um, I don't like that argument because my childhood was crappy and I've yet to gaslight a woman into loving me. And you know, you didn't threaten to blow up an entire opera house so she'd be Nope, certainly haven't done that. I have run around in masks before, like, with grand declarations of feelings, but, uh, yeah, none of the other stuff. So the Charles Dance movie was kind of awesome because he had different masks that he would wear he as the did. Phantom. So he had, like, obviously, like, the red death one, but then he had just, like, a regular death head. And he had and, like, business casual mask. And, like, the disco ball one, which I'm still trying to figure out, where it's just the mirrors all over. Did he make it? Did he have to, like, craft it himself? I'm guessing he had to. Just picks up things in the downstairs where all the props and costumes are. It are was we talking, like are of, we going to talk about the deer? Oh, my gosh, yes. So there is a part... And it's right after Christine unmasks him in the uh, 
mini the Charles Dance miniseries. Mm -hmm. And she basically takes off and he's created this whole wooded area underneath the um the opera house so that they can have a picnic. Yes. There are fake deer all over. Yes. And he walks by it and he just beats it with his hand really he quick. Punches and it punches like, out a fake deer. And it like tilts and then like comes it kind of comes back if I remember correctly. Yeah, it wobbles a little. And I laughed my ass off. Like I stopped and went back. And this both parts of it are on um YouTube at this point in time because yes. nobody really feels like paying money to see this movie. Accurate. Um, it was done like I it looks like it was done for German television in the 90s. <laughs> But it's, it was. it's in the 90s, but it looks like something from the 70s. Like, the coloration Accurate. is so crazy. And you're just going, Ugh. Plus, Christine is, like, this innocent duped girl who's been sent to Paris because the Vicomte de Chagny is, like, fucking all these women. And, and she might be his true love. And it's like, no, that's not. But Charles Dan's punching a Like, the dear punches it out and it's the greatest thing. Charles Dance, character that I'm not sure if I'm attracted to because of my daddy issues or because he's genuinely attractive. We were joking the other day that this has become a Charles Dance Stan podcast. Absolutely. Charles Dance is amazing. I know he's not listening. I wish he was. I wish he was too. Um, so the monster being secretly really good at things is actually not super new of a trope. You see it in, like, the early uh, tellings of Beauty and the Beast. There's basically a lot of stories, like, because this is a Hades and Persephone Beauty and the Beast story. I don't have time to go into archetypal myths with you. I don't feel well. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Google it. None of you were AP students. Like, they might where am be. I wrong? Huh? I said they might be. They're they not. I like looked at our statistics. Student. I looked at our stats. They are not. Oh. <laughs> So this is basically Hades and Persephone, uh, Beauty and the Beast story. And a lot of these stories will have, like, the Beast either being, like, super into the arts or, like, super good at something for no fucking reason. Because you have to make the Beast redeemable somehow. Otherwise, it's just a horror movie. Yeah, so basically, this is kind of like the equivalent of he's super talented, so it's not an episode of CSI. Right. Like, otherwise, it's an episode of that he's Purple just lights. yeah because this is not i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna say something controversial this would not be smart enough for csi this is definitely like a criminal minds like a weird delusion dude who's living in it come on that's already like 75 percent of a criminal mind but i really do feel like this would be a good episode of special victims unit uh i don't think that those writers could frame it well enough i think Okay, did you see the episode where they tried to do, like, the Paula Dean story and they made it, like, somehow much, much worse? No. So they tried to do, okay, so we're going to have to go back in time. So Paula Dean, a uh, southern chef woman person, had a scandal that it came out that contemporaneously she was racist to her staff at one of her restaurants. And in, like, the 50s or 60s, she had said some racist things after being attacked. So there was like a really early, early like version of canceling where we found out about like this racist thing that she did slash does and people were mad. And like she lost her show and a lot of stuff because of it. And then she tried to apologize and it was hilariously bad. I'm getting ahead of myself. So Law & Order SVU being the show that it is was like, okay, we're going to like take this day-to-day -day drama. We're going to do something with it. And they make the Paula Dean analog so much more racist and a gun toter. She looks at, oh God, it's, it's Ice-T that's in Law & Order, right? Yeah. She's like, she says, come here, boy, to Ice-T, which I don't think any person black or white would do. <laughs> like, they have to make her more racist because otherwise it's just a human story. And you can't tell that on television because it's not captivating. So I don't trust them to tell that story. Also, if you want to laugh, their Gamergate episode, hilariously bad. 
remember Gamergate. I remember getting attacked online and just being like, <laughs> I check out! I check I mean, out! I, I'm, I'm not trivializing, trivializing Gamergate at all, but, like, again, like, having to sensationalize something that really... I mean, I don't want to say Gamergate had nuance. It had nuance, I'm using question marks. And, like, having to dumb that down for television. Oh, my God. So, interesting fact about Paula Deen. People yes. who live in Savannah hate her restaurant. Oh, I'm sure that they do. Absolutely. Like, obviously, I'm married to somebody from Savannah, and he's I'm about like, to say, "This feels like something that your husband has complained about." Yeah, he's like, "We're we're never eating at that restaurant." He goes, "Tourists eat at that restaurant because they don't know any better." He's like, "There's a million other better restaurants." Okay, but we talk like, okay, I'm gonna be an unpopular person for a minute because I had to have that I had to have that moment like with diners, drive-ins, and dives here in San Antonio. Cause there's a lot of restaurants here that I love that like gets featured on diners, drive-ins and dives and like you can't get in anymore. And I want to be mad at it, but like tourists are what is allowing you to not live in the fucking ghetto. Like shut up. Like I get it and it's annoying, but like then keep those mom and pop places close to your breast and shut up. Cause my big wish for people is if you're going to be a tourist in a place, and this is cause I grew up in Surf City, USA. Okay, I grew up a couple cities away and then lived there. Right. Um, I highly recommend researching the place that you're going to. Absolutely. Knowing where are the places that you want to visit. Yes. Not being a dick to locals. Well, I mean, just do that in life. Don't make that yeah. a travel note. Just don't be a dick. A hundred percent. That's what's a life motto. Don't be a dick. Um, yes. Because if you're cool and you're not a jerk, mm-hmm. people are willing to help you. Yes. It's when you come in and go, I don't have my green kale smoothie, and my child does not have theirs either, and is like mad at you, and you're mm-hmm. looking at them going, I don't know who you are. I don't mm-hmm. work here. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I'm weird about that stuff. Because like, I, like, the inherent tension between like tourists and locals I think is so contrived. I say as I laugh at every person who goes the wrong way on Houston Street downtown. For all the people who fall in and Riverwalk. I've never seen that happen. I wouldn't laugh at that person because that person's gonna die. That water is toxic and like depending on where you fall really deep or really shallow. So for those of you who don't know San Antonio, we have an area called Riverwalk, which is just what it sounds like. It it's is world famous. Yes, it's world famous. Um, but it ha- basically has shops and stuff along this river pathway that you walk and there's restaurants and stuff like that. Well, there's also a lot of bars. So when we're not in a pandemic, people tend to get really drunk. Or people still now, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, people lose cell phones all the time. Um, car keys, wedding rings, all sorts electric of stuff scooters. in there. Electric scooters. When scooters were super popular, people just started dumping them in the river. Um, there's also like these cruise boats that go through, not like cruise ships, but like they're these little boats that yeah. kind of take you through and give you a tour. Yeah. Um, at least once a year, I think it's once a year, it's once every couple years, they drain that stuff and clean mm-hmm. out the bottom and they mm-hmm. just find a ton of stuff that people have lost. So much stuff. But people, it's, there's there's no handrails in a lot of areas, so people get drunk. And there's no handrails, in. like, anywhere. Like, I don't know where you're, there's, where are you finding handrails there's on the like river, man? There's, handrails on a um, bridge going over, and that's Yeah, there's, it. like, no handrails on the river. Um, like, you either need to know how to handle your liquor, or, like, stay out of downtown. Yeah. Accurate. If anyone, if I ever witness someone falling in the river, I don't, I don't think it's concerned because that water is gross. Oh, it's nasty. And, it, and again, like depending on where you are, it's either like shockingly deep or really not deep at all. So it's like that person might be dead. Um, when I was in college, one of my friends, he was making a joke as we were walking down the river, and he was like, "What would happen if I just pushed you in right now?" And I turned and looked at him and I said, you better hope I die because whatever rises out of that water will be vengeance and will hunt you down. They'll put people in the river walk. They'll throw people in the river. Oh my God. Um, It's kind of like the lake under the opera. (laughs) Tying it back together. 
Can I ask a question that's phantom related? Sure. How did he get the horse down there? Okay, so that is something I have always wondered. So, where does the the horse live? There's a part where the phantom takes Christine on a horse Mm -hmm. through the like the bottom area, which evidently used to be like a prison for people. Um, but he has them walk to this lake's edge on a horse. Yeah. So there are stables at the Paris Opera, and it was designed so if they needed a horse on stage, they had one. And in the mm-hmm. book, they make this whole thing about how one of the horses went missing and all the stuff, and they never figured out what happened to it. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that I can think is that he walked it through the opera house and made it go down the stairs. But here's my thing. Having seen horses at theme parks and in country areas where, you know, you're doing a parade, they poop they all do. the time. So did he just, like, go back and clean up horse poop on the way down to his dungeon? And how does he feed it? Like, does he steal hay? Does he, like, have a special, like, situation with somebody above ground? Yeah, I'm like, is that water clean enough for the horse to drink? Does it it suffer from the fact that it's too dark down there? Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, that's always been something that's bothered me. I think think it's the Gerard Butler one. Like, the horse rises out of the water, and it's like, is the horse real? Have we been hallucinating horses all this time? I feel like our podcast briefly became PETA. Okay, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not that concerned about the horse's safety, because it's fiction. I'm just concerned about, like, I don't get the logistics of this. Where are you hiding a horse? What is the horse eating? Does no one hear the clip-clop under the (laughs) Who's ferrying the horse? Because you got to take care of their hooves. Who's taking... I just have this image of putting the horse in the boat, being like, in sleep, he's Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. Like, who's... Does... Is there a stable boy under the opera who's taking care of the horse? I have some I mean, this means he has to be his own stable boy. So he's also good at taking care of hooves and shit? Does he have an ironworks down there where he's smelting iron and making hooves and shoes? Part of me wonders if he just walks it back up to be reshot and then brings it he back down. He just throws it up, like, from a sewer grate, like, once a month. Please handle his hooves. There's, like, a letter. Right. Like, he sends letters for everything. It is the most passive, aggressive villain ever. And I love it. Where it's like, I'm going to leave a note, and then I'm going to steal all your money. Have a great day. Yeah, I'm going to extort you, but I'm also going to leave a note. But also, back to the Jared Buller one, in that same scene, the candles rise out of the water already lit. I'm like, how? <laughs> is, he, is, is Eric magic? Is that what we've been missing? I mean, he did is spend he a, a lot of time in the Orient, and evidently in... Oh, he's a magi? He came Evidently. Back. He came back a fucking wizard? Okay. Like, uh, I have made this murder room and also magic. Right. Oh, my God. Okay. No, I just picture him as Job from Arrested Development. (laughs) Isn't he, like, major, like, a Chris Angel mind freak vibes? Just, like, tortured and not understood. But yet women will still sleep with him for some reason. You had in here also descending into the depths, which you kind of covered with the whole Persephone Hades thing. Yeah, um, you see that a lot, depending on what version of the book slash movie you're watching. They'll make a bigger deal out of it than not. But like the whole like descending into the depths, it's very like Orpheus and Eurydice, Persephone and Hades. Um, and then it's the whole... Hmm? Faust. Because it's usually in the portrayals, they're either doing a performance of Faust or in the 86 musical and everything, it's um, Don Juan Triumphant, and they're, like, past the point of no return, which is, like, they're talking, everything looks like hell. Mm-hmm. So that kind of ties into that, too. Or in Phantom of the Mall, they just want to build a mall. The movie, it, I think that was 1989. I watched, okay, so if you haven't seen it, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, has Polly Shore in it. Okay. As the Persian. That's what we got to tell you as far as the the level, the caliber of this film. 
okay? Caliber of movie you're about to watch. Polly Shore is the Persian. It's free on YouTube, so you have no excuses. Mm-hmm. I watched this downstairs on our TV, and Mark kept going, what is this? Why are you watching it? I was like, go play your video game. He's like, you watch the worst stuff. What is wrong with you? We finally put a kibosh on, because I was watching so much Phantom stuff. He's like, you're done. You're done. And I'm like, fine, I'll watch it by myself then. Um, you fell into Phantom fandom with a PH. With a PH. So the whole story is that this girlfriend's boyfriend, this girl's boyfriend died in yes. a fire at his home. Yes. And it was to make way for a mall. Basically, there was a whole town conspiracy. And Morgan yes. Fairchild is the mayor, which is hysterical. Yes. Um, and so they ended up building the mall over like where his house used to be, but not realizing that he had a basement and his basement was filled with everything that was hot in the eighties, including black leather couches and a fucking Bowflex. And basically you find out that Eric is trying to show everybody that the mayor and the guy who owns the mall are really the people who are behind his attempted murder. And yes. like, the girl, her, she's not Christine in the movie. I can't remember what her name is. But he keeps leaving her presence. And she's like, oh, Eric, I know that he's still alive. And, like, it's, there's a, a photographer for the newspaper that's, like, totally into her and following around. He's like, I remember when that fire happened last year. Like, it's so badly acted, but it's really entertaining. And the death scenes are fabulous. One guy gets his face chopped off in a fan. One guy gets bitten on his penis by a cobra. I was like, like, you're leaving out the dick cobra. The dick cobra. I ended up just texting Amanda, watching it, going, dick cobra! Like, a multiplicity of times I received the message, dick cobra. You're also leaving out the part where Eric doesn't use a Punjab lasso. He roundhouse kicks a person. Oh, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't play the organ. He lifts weights. <laughs> oh, and he has VHS tapes that he watches of his girlfriend. Okay, so... That's your dissension into the depth as you just saw us do about Phantom of the Ball. <laughs> the concept of the ingenue, the virginal, talented, young, beautiful woman. It's boring and I wish it would die. I wish it would go out to pasture like Eric Swamp Horse. <laughs> Swamp Horse of Destiny. I want to know if the, does the horse have a name? Um no, but we can give him one. We're naming it Faustine. Faustine. All right, but yeah, the the ingenue is an archetype. It's something that yes. you see in a lot of things, and then also you have the prima donna, which is, you know, basically the really rude way for a woman who knows what she wants after earning her fucking keep and doing what she needs to do. I was gonna say like the prima donna is basically like the shitty way of saying exactly that like the woman who knows she's good like um for better versions of this just look at moulin rouge in real life this is called being talented and being untrusted by men <laughs> oh my gosh so i do freelance work sometimes and my favorite thing is hearing that my rate is high and it's like cheaper than a guy's half the time no, I know my worth. That's the Good. problem. Good. Yeah. It's like, I hear all of them like, oh my God, like, your rate's so high. It's like, yeah, I have multiple years in advertising, not to mention I have awards under my belt and I have a degree and I'm fast and I know I'm better than you. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> if you wanted help, you're going to pay help. <laughs> well, there's also just that whole concept in freelance where people are like, oh, they'll do it for basically free. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. No, not at all. Or, um, or try to beat them down with, well, I have a cousin who does this. Then get them. <laughs> Call them, I guess. Yeah, if you want some really, really cool, like, ingenue and prima donna um, action, watch Moulin Rouge, a movie that I still think is great. I hate that movie. I hate that movie with the passions of a thousand sons. You may have that. You may have that movie. I, I will keep, I will hold it to my breast. I think it's great. I think John Leguizamo's having the best time of his life. Ewan McGregor's there for some fucking reason. Also, hey, so remember I mentioned that episode of ER where it had like Irish McIrish who was robbing that convenience store? Yes. Ewan McGregor was in that episode. 
I don't know, man. What, did did know. he, was he okay? It was like the 1990s. I think it was like in between like two of his big roles, but it's like, did you have enough free time in the 90s to just be a robber on ER? I'm just checking to see if anybody put anything in our questions on Instagram, but they did not. Okay. Uh, we did get one question on Twitter from Underrated Pod. Could a pretty girl kissing you on the forehead change your whole worldview? Um, after no. living through a pandemic and the recent election, no. 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 You can't even convince people who are dying of COVID-19 that they should have worn a mask. Yeah, I don't, I mean, honestly, even like before the pandemic, I don't think that would have changed my life. It's such a hokey thing and I hate it. Like, there's always this humanizing part of, like, monster narratives where it's like, oh, and the monster suddenly was not a monster. Except for that one Guillermo del Toro movie because he's obviously a horny furry. Like, which one? Uh, water? Oh, gotcha. You know which one. I just, I was so confused. I was like, okay but why are they having sex? Like, I don't feel like they've reached that level of a relationship yet. So here's where I become PETA. It can't consent, right? I, Can it consent? I don't know. Because it didn't know what was going on, really. Like, I 100% encourage you not to have sex with your animals. Well, okay, but we're not talking about, like, porking, like, the family koi fish. Oh, God. Like, what? don't do that, obviously. But, like, could the fish monster consent? He wasn't, like, an Abe Sapien where, like, he could say yes or no. That's fine, I guess, because he could, he could tell you what he wants. That, that thing couldn't... We're going to start an activist group for fictional creatures, starting with Eric's weird swamp horse. Oh! Faustine, we will rescue you. Faustine, we're coming for you. Um, but yeah, like it's you see this a lot in uh, monster narratives, or like the kiss is somehow like the humanizing thing, or the thing that turns them around because it's a gesture of like kindness and shit. Um, so is this very similar to like the hero in the movie when they get hurt and they're like doctoring their wounds and stuff, but it's like they get that one, or they like lean into or like that one on their head and there's like gentle touch and they're like, oh, like it hurts. Yeah, it's like that. Um, please don't make me go Joseph Campbell. It's almost eight o'clock and you'll never see the light of day again. Um, there's no light right now. Well, that's why I said again. There is no light right now. It's 7.53 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's super standard in that world. Um, you saw it in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, insert other examples here. I'm tired. Um, do you want to talk about Gaston LaRue and how much of a fuck boy he was? I do. So he was born in Paris on May 6, 1868. His dad was a public works contractor and his mom was the daughter of a shipbuilder, so they had funds. They, they had a lot of money. Um, LaRue's dad, much like Robert Louis Stevenson's dad, was like, you should go get a law degree. And Gaston Leroux was like, this sounds like a horrible plan, but I'll do it for you, dad. So he got his law degree in 1889. His dad died the same year and left him with a ton of money. So mm -hmm. what do you do with a ton of money? You blow it all within six months on women and liquor. So he um, gambled. He had a lot of sex. He drank a lot of wine. Um, and then he had no money and he was like, well, what do I do now? So he became a reporter. Um, he worked for the paper Le Echo. He originally had a sonnet published by them. And then he became a drama critic and then a, a courtroom reporter and then a full-time journalist. Um, so we did a lot of investigative work. He ended up covering the Russian Revolution of 1905, which let's be real, was the precursor to the uh, 1917, which was the one most people know about. Um, think, things were not good in Russia for a long time. Nikki the second didn't just get murdered for funsies. Let's just you put it that way. Call him Nikki. Just wanted to. It was fun. Um, so he ended up traveling the world as a correspondent from 1894 to 1906. 
-hmm. in the early 1900s we talked a little bit about this um he had a pissing contest with himself and authors who knew nothing about him um mm -hmm. in a, it, arthur conan doyle was the other one that he was really he read his stuff and was like fuck sherlock i can do a better job i mean in um, all fairness i've read to arthur conan doyle and have gone fuck sherlock so the mystery of the yellow room became one of his first books it was about a, it was a locked room murder um he wrote a complete account of the 1896 disaster at the paris opera house where a chandelier really did fall and really did kill one patron of the opera and injured the many counterweight others counterweight fell the counterweight fell well it hit him um there was also a skeleton that was found in the opera house which was evidently a ballet pupil which yes. is like really sad and so he's like ha I can use this. Um, so he ended up doing things like going so far as to collect the architectural plans of Charles Garner for the 1960 play or the 1860s playhouse. Um, he knew all about it, secret passages that they had to move sets and stages and stuff like that. Yes. Um, as well as the subterranean lake of the opera itself. Evidently, firefighters still train by swimming in that. So cool. that's kind of cool. Um, Sounds super it, unsafe. Yeah, probably. Uh, the novel was initially serialized in the press, uh, Les Galois, for, I, I don't know if I said that right, from 1909 to 1910, then it got put into a volume, and he's like, I'm going to be set for life, uh, Pierre Lafitte published it, and it just sat there and didn't do well at all. Well, mm. it ended up going to the U.S., it was printed in the U.S., and it was printed in the U.K., and it mm. did fairly well there. Um, in 1925, mm -hmm. a director with Universal, I want to say it was like Charles Lamel was um mm -hmm. read it and then jumped out of the bathtub instead of making this I'm gonna make this dang movie um and it ended up being the thing that saved gaston Leroux's career and made him some mm -hmm. money because mm -hmm. after this movie came out everyone was like this is amazing how come i've never read this and so it was flying off the shelves they couldn't keep it on the shelves in paris which is hysterical mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah well, 11 12 years later mm -hmm. um often when it is made or it is performed, there are parts that get confused with Faust in adaptations. So you'll see mm -hmm. a lot of themes and stuff that overlap, that kind of thing. Um, there have been a lot of adaptations of this, which we've talked about a few of them. There's also one with um, Freddy Krueger. There's and, one. Yeah. Um, not actually Freddy Krueger, but the actor. The actor. Who, I mean, that would be a hell of a movie, let's be real. I think I wrote it down here. Robert England. There we go. Um, yes. So Leroux was a really big dude. He was heavy the majority of his end of his life. And mm -hmm. he ended up, um, before the era of modern medicine and running in and getting really good antibiotics, he died from a UTI on April 15, 1927, at the age of 59 in Nice, France. Really sad. Yeah. That's a horrible way to go. Uh, he was fairly young um but he was not in good health um by all accounts did not take particularly good care of himself that's not i like his man. tiny glasses tiny glasses on his face yeah how was that helping you see it all just the tiniest glasses i'm sorry so i do want to throw something in that's not necessarily about guest on the row yes. it is yes how awful that second phantom is the love never dies it is so bad it was dating this guy and he's like i know you like phantom so we're gonna watch this because it's amazing and i'm watching it and i'm like this is the dumbest shit i've ever seen this is as bad as the epilogue for harry potter okay like we're done here and i'm sitting there having to like smile and be like uh -huh, oh sweetie thanks so much for thinking of me and i'm like you absolute fuck weasel like I've used the F word a lot tonight. I'm sorry. It's been a lot. Uh, I'm going to um, the white Russian. Ooh, it's delicious. Well, it's almost gone. Um, but there's actually a book that somebody wrote, and I remember reading it in high school, but it was all about Eric coming to the new world and kind of following Christine's career, black thereof, yeah. and um, building oh, another mirror maze and all this stuff, and like um, at Coney Island and all that. And I was like, what the hell is this? But I was also like a senior in high school, so I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I've read this book a lot. Love Never Dies is honestly terrible, uh, but we have to listen under adaptations because it exists.
Um, yeah. There's, I want to say, so we talked about the Italian one where he's raised by rats. We've talked about deer punching, Phantom of the Mall. I mean, like, there are so many adaptations of yeah, this. Yeah, this, this is not all of them. These are just some of our favorites or ones that we love to hate. Uh, Phantom of the Paradise, which basically just is Faust. Phantom of the Paradise is good. Phantom um, of the Paradise is Brian De Palma at his most Brian De Palma. Um, of course, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Um, the Gerard Butler one. Yeah. I remember being so excited about that coming out and then seeing it being like, okay. I remember people being upset that it was going to be Orlando Bloom. Trying to picture that. People were livid that it was going to be Orlando Bloom and somehow we were supposed to be more content with Gerard Butler. Um, Gerard Butler was so hot in Dracula 2000. I don't think he's that attractive. I think he's Scottish. That's probably he is. Why I'm like, hey, what's he up, buddy? <laughs> um, there's a celebrities read mean tweets, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, where um, someone says, "Does Gerard Butler have a massive student loan he's paying off? Why is he in every movie?" I mean, it could be. And like, honestly, I feel that way sometimes. Like looking at like Gerard Butler's like filmography, it's like, do you owe someone money? Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> how do you go from 300 to phantom i mean maybe he saw chicago and was like huh that did all right for richard gear or it would have been phantom to 300 i don't know when 300 came out 2006 and then phantom was like 2004 wasn't it i don't remember I think okay I so 300 was, was 2006 the opera 2004 was correct so you go from phantom to 300 how does that happen we're like what is not going to give you a role where you sing or really speak sentences thank Just you scared. joel schumacher who's now dead joel schumacher died yeah well how long ago was that a few months actually yeah he passed away in june dang i did not know that oh i was upset I mean, I, uh, Joel Schumacher, I can't say he's a good director, but he was an influential director. I think that's the best way to put it. I cannot say that he's a good director. His movies have had an impact on me. All right. Did we have to read this in school? Uh, no. But I have read the novel once, and I've seen the musical too many times because, honestly, fucking obviously. <laughs> um, I've kind of answered this, but no, I did it for fun, and then I kept reading it every few years. It's just, it's just a, a yearly tradition now. What's interesting about this is this was um, a universal monster movie. It but was. it has never gotten the acclaim that things like Creature of the Black Lagoon or Dracula or Frankenstein got. Or even Invisible Man, like you'll see that over Phantom all the time. Um, but I remember there was like the Buena Vista Movie Land Wax Museum when I was growing up and they had like the 1925 Phantom scene and it was really cool. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think we've talked I think about honestly it's probably because the musical has really overshadowed like Phantom discourse, which I, it, I laugh to even think that Phantom discourse exists. It does, but like, it sounds dumb. What I think is, is really interesting, too, is, like, the musical makes it seem like he's a perfect sweet little angel and that he just, he just loves Christine so much that he would, you know, he'd kill Raul because he just can't see them together. And then you read the book and it's like, oh, by the way, he designs murder prisons. Like, by the way, he's actually a really fucked up, terrible guy. That's probably why we're so attracted to him as uh, tortured fangirls. We, we're just gonna like wait while he um, impersonates your father in a cemetery and knocks out your boyfriend. Sure, why not? All right, because Amanda hates me and I tend to, I, okay, so I need you to know for the next yes. book, 
I stop myself from putting war and peace because I don't want you to hate me forever. Because I would have, I would have found a way to socially distance to your house and like throw something at you. You would have been like, I don't know what happened. We can't ever do the podcast again. So obviously the joke is war and peace is massive. I have read it in quarantine. I really enjoyed it. Um, but that's because I love Russian literature and I have a mental problem. Um, I, I hate Russian literature, so. So it's, it's one of those things where part of me is like, oh, I could have done um, Pasternak or I could have done this. And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to make you read something that's 500 to 800 pages. That's rude. Um, Good, because so I wouldn't have read it. <laughs> we are doing Faust by Goethe. There's an episode of Wishbone on that. We're covered. Yep. And it's fairly short. I read it in the original German and English, but I did not understand any of the German. That's totally fine. I was one of my best friends in high school. I was like, you should read this and give it to me for my birthday. And I was like, first of all, I hate the fact that you know me so well. Um, mm. So it's been many years since I've read this book. So it should be interesting. I'm looking forward to reading fast because I actually don't hate this one. Awesome. So we are all over social media. We are. If you're lazy like me, you go to unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com and then just click from there. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you can also find under our shop icon there, well, it's like a little tab at the top. Mm -hmm. um, what is it? Bookshop.org page full of books and yes. stuff that I haven't updated in forever, so I apologize. Um, so we'll do that well, tonight. I won't. <laughs> I'm putting this episode up. Um, and then also that's where our Redbubble store is linked. We're on Twitter at unfortunately RR, which Amanda Mans and awesome, yes. does an awesome job on it. Um, unfortunately required on Instagram. And then we're also on mm -hmm. Facebook as unfortunately required reading. Yes. Uh, if you would like to uh, metaphorically or physically support the uh, cheese plate, you are welcome to do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading. Also, I have a note from Redbubble saying that if you are sure, if you want to be sure that you will get your gifts by Christmas day to order no later than December 6th, which as of recording is in two days. So we're never gonna say stop ordering, but like if you want to order any of our stuff for like specifically for a Christmas gift, Redbubble is saying get that ish in now. Yep. So I'm gonna go upload a podcast, go to sleep, and then wake up to celebrate my birthday, which yeah, I'm gonna, probably uh, means I'm gonna hide from people. Um, I'm gonna snort a cough drop. Um, try to decide if I'm going to order Chipotle or not. I probably shouldn't, but I might still. And <laughs> I'm going to try to rest my voice. Uh, happy birthday early to Tori. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, doing this with me for as many years as we have. Hopefully we get to celebrate our anniversary, uh, next year in person. Hopefully. Fingers Hopefully. crossed. Really, really would like to be out of quarantine this week. Hashtag same. Uh, so from your quarantine uh, hostesses to all of you, stay safe out there and go read a book.